I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10.3. As the world transitions to a knowledge-based innovation economy, Canada is lagging behind. The Financial Post has kicked off a deep look at how this trend could endanger the country's economic well-being and what is needed to help businesses flourish and grow. In this episode, we speak with Jim Balsillie, a leader at the heart of the innovation movement, about the challenges companies face and what role the government can play to help Canadian businesses succeed. It's Friday, November 16th. Before we get to today's conversation, I want to let you know about Innovation Nation, financial posts feature on what it will take for companies to survive in the global ideas economy. Go to innovation.financialpost.com for more coverage of the issues Jim and I will be talking about. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. Jim Balsillie is the chair of the Council of Canadian Innovators and one of the co-founders of Research in Motion. So, Jim, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time with us. Pleasure to be with you. The big financial post series that we, you know, that launched this week talks about how Canada is lagging behind when it comes to innovation. And I'm wondering from your perspective what that means if, for the average Canadian who may not understand what a an innovation gap may mean for Canada? Well, embedded in every business is intellectual property and intangible assets. And as a small example, the S&P 500, 16% of its value was intangible in the mid-70s, and it's currently almost 90%. So if you do not manage performance in the intangibles economy, whether it's new tech companies or or traditional like farming and and anything like resources or, or energy extraction, you will systemically see your competitiveness and pro- and profitability erode. So this is all about the long-term sustained prosperity of our of our economy and our country. You talked uh, earlier with Kevin Carmichael from the Financial Post, and one of the things that I heard you say was that when you talk about markets, the the tangible economy doesn't necessarily require the kind of government intervention that uh, an intangibles economy uh, is based around. What is it that the government would need to do to help foster uh, more innovation in the Canadian economy? Well, the, the innovation is the commercialization of ideas across all uh, industries and all sectors. And so what it is, it's, it's, it's a way it's based on a principle of restriction where you say, I own this and, you can't do this without my permission and and generally means having to pay me. And so that's spreading through all the various industries and it works on a totally different set of principles than the quote unquote hands off principles of the traditional uh, production economy, industrial production economy. So you need to develop the toolkit to generate these assets, which are really, it's a market created by governments based on this idea abstract concept that I can own an idea and all the smart innovation economies around the world do it. They do it comprehensively in a sophisticated, deliberate and systemic fashion. And I'm simply saying, why don't we do what other smart economies do? Cause this is where all the money is. And you have to understand that it's not just for new businesses, existing businesses are tech driven for goodness sakes, that the taxi business has become a tech business. So everybody's got opportunities and and threats here, and I want us to be on our front foot so that we prosper in, in, for the next hundred years, uh, like we have in the past. 
Now, is it a case of the government offering money into the system or is it the case of the government helping like-minded people come together in hubs to uh, be creative and, and, and put their heads together and work on innovative new ideas? What is, what is the role? No, it's not about invention. Invention we do very well, but the problem is we, we lose ownership about it. And it's not about money. It's not about ideas. It's about claiming the ideas in a legal set of ways somebody can't use your ideas without uh, paying you money. And the whole world does this all the time. And we simply don't teach it in our schools. We don't have the dialogue with the the businesses for how to tweak it. And these, this system gets tweaks hundreds of times a day. And so it's not about money. It's not about invention or new ideas. It's about getting uh, the appropriate control and ownership and thus, and then the returns for the things that we invent. We invent lots of things, but we just don't get very much money for it because we don't have the public-private frameworks working to to, to, to do that. And, and there's no good reason for it other than the fact that we haven't paid attention to it. Now, you are not a fan of where Canada sits when it comes to the NAFTA replacement, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And, and not long after the signing of it, you said... Uh, Because of decades of failed innovation policies that completely ignored IP ownership, Canada is a large net importer of IP, so this is a bad deal for Canada's plans to build a 21st century economy. What would you have wanted to see in the trade agreement uh, that would have addressed those issues? Well, these aren't to be called um, trade agreements anymore. They're they're more called economic partnerships because they're not about free trade. When you when you put in rules about how you, you know, give longer IP enforcement and, and all kinds of rules about how people can get more money for that, that's the opposite of free trade. So these have really shifted from, you know, the traditional economy of a production economy where it was free trade, get rid of tariffs. There was no tariffs gotten rid of in this agreement. It was about taking those with existing intangible assets and enhancing the value for them. So the you know, they, they, they really should be called asset value protection agreements, as, as an economist, Dan Chariot, calls them, where the rich get richer and the powerful get more powerful. And and so what it does is it makes those with IP or data businesses richer and more powerful in, in a set of rules that advantage them. And there's no free trade behind it. And it's for the benefit of the U.S. because they they know what it takes to get richer in these rule sets and they, and they, they push for it and then they, they put up pieces of paper of impalas and say, I'll shut down your production economy if you don't give me what I want. And it's leverage. And, and then the problem is we have to trade off the current. Uh, we have to pick the current versus the future. And it's, we're, we were in a very vulnerable position, but we put ourselves in this position over time and, and we got leveraged and, and it, I, it was unavoidable, but it would have taken a set of very deliberate strategies over a sustained period of time to not put us in that bucket or in that basket. And, we were in a we were in a vulnerable position, and, and we got exploited for that. Is it a case of the federal government going into negotiations like that, of having uh, misplaced priorities, or worrying about specific sectors over others? We didn't develop um, a more resilient, sovereign strategy that made us vulnerable to to being leveraged. And and your the job of the government is to not only position us for opportunities but protect us against threats and we were in a, a position where we could be leveraged and we were leveraged and call that enlightened national interest or, or whatever you want to call it we need uh sophisticated you know they're they're tough their their team was a bunch of 
sophisticated, seasoned businessmen, and and they had burning up the phone lines with all of their advisory committees of 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 representing all the six sectors. And they said, "What do you want to advance the success of of your?" This is a business trade agreement, and they had all that. And I would say we have some you know traditional interests, certainly for farm and and all that, and automotive. So we. We are oriented toward the tangible economy of production, industrial, but we have no strategies or capacity or voice for the intangibles economy. And, and when you don't orient to it, you you don't accumulate it and, and get revenue for it, which explains why our innovation strategies, our innovation outcomes have shrunk over the last 18 years, despite hundreds of billions of taxpayer investment. It's not about money. It's about appropriate public policies um, oriented towards what it takes to be successful in this new economy that's different than our traditional economy. What has changed in the years since you co-founded Research in Motion that for the worse, or is it a case of Research in Motion succeeded in spite of the the landscape in Canada? Well, I built my commercialization infrastructure oriented out of the United States, and my mentors were there. So, and we used the the geopolitical elements of the U.S. Business Council and our lobbyists there to really act like an American company out of Canada. So that's how we, we grew. And the situation's no different than when RIM was the fastest growing company in the world for five years, and we grew mm-hmm. from an idea to $20 billion uh, by the end of uh, 2011. And um, I'm simply saying, you know, it's like, it's like a hospital. You know, when people get sick, you can jump on a plane and fly to a foreign country. And, or you can say, you know, we got to build our own hospitals and treat ourselves here. And the same applies for, you know, an, an ideas commercialization infrastructure. You know, there's no reason we shouldn't develop it here as part of a, a G7 modern uh, country. But I really, really want to stress that who would have ever imagined that the, the, the taxi business would be taken over by tech? And farmers currently don't own their data and, and can't fix their tractor. And these are tech businesses and oil extractions, tech business and mining's a tech business. So Every business is going to be affected by this in very surprising ways and in, in time. So this is really the, the digital nervous system of, of, a, of a sovereign country. And, and we have to be much more strategic about looking after ourselves, both economically and economically on this going forward. This, the world has changed and we have to update our playbook. We can do it, but we have to understand it's important and we have to do it very expertly and deliberately and systemically. We'll be right back. The National Post launched 20 years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to the National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. What is is Canada doing doing well right now? Are there any sectors that you say are where we have innovation strengths? Well, we do very well in in certain parts of of an economy in, in terms of invention. So we, we do a lot of really great invention at our universities, um, but invention is not innovation. You don't, you don't, you're not an innovator until you commercialize the idea. So we invent, we confuse 
the science and technology strategy with an innovation strategy. We do very good on startups, but a startup's not an innovator until it commercializes. So we, we confuse startups from with scale-ups who innovate. And then we, we confuse a, a cheap uh, foreign tech branch plant job strategy you know, for, the, for the pennies instead of a, a, a domestic commercialization scale-up strategy for, for the billions. So we, we um, have all the potential in the world to do extremely well. But you have to understand that in the innovation economy, it, you really have to do it very deliberately and systemically. And all it takes is a couple pieces of, of misfiring in the system to, to erode it. It's kind of like a recipe. If you don't follow a recipe, one or two bad moves uh, undermines the whole exercise. Um, and so you, you kind of got to get it all right to get any of it right. And we have all the potential in the world to do it. And many successful innovation economies, big and small around the world, do it. So there's no reason we can't do it, but we got to orient focusing on our domestic scale-up companies first and the leaders of that to say, what do you need to keep growing? Involve the 21st century innovation experts in the support analysis and, and specific policy creation. Currently, we don't do that. So what is it that other countries are doing better than Canada? Countries like the U.S. and uh, in your talk with Kevin Carmichael, you mentioned Finland and you mentioned Singapore. What are they doing that we're not doing? Well, they have very sophisticated public-private frameworks where they th- th- there's a revolving door between you know, universities and, and businesses and government. And how do we manage the system to take an idea, take it into an owned idea, which is a public private framework, and then project that into the world where you can commercialize that and get uh, economic returns and generate massive value for it. And so they have all of these public private frameworks. You just have to look on the website. Like, I mean, I don't know, just look at the U.S. Trade Representative website and the Executive Office of the President, and they have 27 advisory committees, all with deep, deep experts interrelating to each sector. And guess what? Those committees map one-to-one to to the negotiating tables of of NAFTA. So the whole system feeds in and out like a well-breathing organ. And, you know, we had these advisory committees in Canada, but we shut them down in about 2002 to save money. So we took the instrumentation off of our airplanes metaphorically as as just as this whole system turbocharged because you know we we thought we you know we didn't need advice and the whole system is based on interplay so we manufactured our own failure so yeah just start the dialogue structures which i said you know the leading ceos and involve experts who understand how to make sure that you tweak it right and and reduce it to the words in the legal systems and the international agreements and the education systems and it'll 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 orient properly, but we're not doing any of that now. And that's why we've, we've manufactured our own failure, but we can get ourselves out of this hole. But the first rule of holes is stop digging and, and then start getting yourself out. And that's really the very simple and basic message I'm, I'm giving here. Yeah. And, you know, earlier you mentioned that Canada is like a branch plant economy and it seems like we're very dependent on foreign, uh, companies investing or setting up shop in Canada. I think it was the U of T prof Richard Florida who said that without the tech scene, uh, without companies like Microsoft and Uber setting up shop, we'd be pretty mediocre. Uh, Is it a chicken and egg situation that we can't get more local innovation companies going because of these big giants operating 
branch plants in our economy or is it that the giants come in because of the lack of local innovators uh, succeeding? What thinking it's grounded in, you have to understand that in the traditional production, industrial production economy, you get this thing called spillovers where, you know, if you put $100 million into a some kind of manufacturing company or a, or a pulp and paper mill, you get this 3x spillover. So you get $300 million of additional economic benefit. That's how the traditional production economy works. But in the ideas economy, it's about, it's about owning the ideas. And so if you don't generate the ideas, then um, you don't get any of the wealth effects from them. And so when you say, you know, bring in these foreign tech companies, well, they, they just, you know, they take our best talent who are funded by taxpayers. They take our best, you know, ideas funded by taxpayers. They get tax credits for doing the research in Canada. When they get successful, they don't pay taxes. And then all the wealth effects go to um, their foreign owners. And you look at a company like Amazon, the records say they had 99 meetings with our prime minister's office last year. So we give them a red carpet treatment of tweaking the rules to the way that advantaged them. And so when you do all of this, you take yourself all out of the wealth creation game and you're just a cheap talent on the branch plant. And talk to any really smart engineering person, they don't aspire to be the cheap talent at a branch plant. So they leave to where the action is and, and then we get a brain drain. So we manufacture our own lack of prosperity. We manufacture our own lack of sovereignty. We manufacture our own prosperity or our own brain drain because we don't orient towards creating the exciting wealth creation companies and jobs here. So when you follow through that logic, you realize that bringing in these orienting towards these foreign cheap foreign tech branch plants, it has negative economic spillovers that undermines your sovereign and prosperous future. We are an open economy, so they're going to set up anyways, but this this 99% orientation to the foreign plants for jobs and then not focusing, you know, and so you're focusing on the cheap branch plant pennies and missing the innovation billions. And then you wonder why we have deficits and high taxes and low dollar and and uh, lower revenues and aging infrastructure because you need to generate the wealth prosperity to, you know, that's where the wealth is in the 21st century, that shift I talked about earlier. And when you do this branch plant orientation, you, you take yourself out of that job overwhelmingly. And no smart innovation economy in the, the world takes Canada's non-sovereign, like we're, we're using Bangalore and Ukraine strategies of branch plants, not sophisticated uh, economies, but yet we have all the potential to be sophisticated and we have been before. So it's really just rediscovering our past approaches, which, which we were good at, but we, we, for some reason, dropped our old playbook and I just say, pick it up again. Now, one last question for you. You said that uh, universities need to do better uh, to help foster innovation success in Canada. What is it that they're not doing now that they, they need to be doing? I would, I would rephrase that. I would say people need to stay in their lane. And universities are, our Canadian universities are exceptional at invention in their basic research in advancing these kinds of ideas and commons. But innovation is what companies do when they commercialize the idea. So I would get the universities completely out of the innovation game, quit using the word they do invention. Remember I said we conflate invention with innovation and companies commercializing ideas is innovation. A professor doing great research is invention. And, and then the problem is the universities do not generate the intellectual property well, do not have it as a core 
scale activity. So we, we drop the ball on innovations and don't turn them into assets that we can ask money for. And that's where our system breaks down. So I think you just take them out of the part of the game that they don't want to be in, that they're not good at, that's not core. Let them swim in their lane so exceptionally. Let the companies do the job of, of commercializing and really solidify the objective of inventing things and then turning them into intellectual property that you can ask for money for for somebody to use your idea. And in that, you generate the wealth and prosperity. But right now, we've just got this whole vague of a startup. We confuse startups and scale-ups. We confuse invention with, with innovation. We confuse you know, a branch channel, cheap branch plant job strategy with, with a, a scale-up strategy. And you wonder why we get terrible innovation out- outputs, because... We're conflating a whole bunch of things that have to be very surgically and specifically articulate and driven in a deliberate and systemic fashion. Well, there's a lot to digest and discuss on the issue. Uh, for more, you, people can go to innovation.financialpost.com. Jim Balsilli, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate Pleasure's it. Pleasure is mine. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from John Richardson in Toronto. Special thanks to our guest Jim Balsilli with the Council of Canadian Innovators. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.